All right. Welcome back to our conversations on ways to be. Ah, this episode is so good. And I know I've been saying about saying that about all of them, and it's true about all of them, but it's like this one's a gold mine. You can just dig and dig and dig, and there's so much good, relevant, real information in here that I think is helpful for each of us during this time. Uh, it's with therapist Julia Sherrill, and I got to meet Julia. Uh, we've been friends for a few years. Uh, she moved out of the state now, um, but she was willing to come and do this conversation with me for us. And man, it's a gift. And we talked for like an hour and a half. So I want to split that into two different episodes. We'll have part one and part two because there's so much information. It's also good. I want you to be able to try some of the stuff she talks about, process it, give it, give it a try, and then come back next week and listen to the other half and different techniques that she offers for that. So part one, we're going to cover uh, breath work. Notice everyone's talking about breath. Everyone's talking about breath, how important breathing is to our stress and to our health. And so Julie takes it from a, a different perspective. So take a listen, take a look. And then we're going to talk about emotions. So this uh, first part is called you and your emotions. Okay, don't be scared about that. It's it's actually it's really good stuff. That's gonna make you think and try some different things, and I, I'm hoping it's gonna be really helpful for you. Then next week we'll come back, and she's gonna offer some other techniques, ways of processing stress, and uh, different energy centers we have around our body, ways we can help navigate all that stuff. Uh, it's just it's so good, and so I hope you'll take a listen. Watch it on Facebook, uh, get it on the podcast, whatever it is, however you need to connect, make it happen so that you can take a listen. Uh, Julie, again, thank you so much for the gift of your wisdom and your insight, and I just hope it's a blessing for everyone like it was for me. All right, enjoy. All right, so uh, really excited to introduce you to Julia Sherrill. She is a therapist with these letters behind her name. Well, I don't even know what those mean. What do those mean? Julie. An LCSW, licensed clinical social worker. Licensed clinical social worker. And you practice therapy. What kind of therapy do you practice? Primarily cognitive behavioral, um, but also acceptance and commitment therapy and motivational interviewing and, you know, all kinds of other stuff too. And that means absolutely nothing to me. Um, some cognitive, something with the brain. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> cognitive behavioral therapy is the connection between our thoughts, our behaviors, and our emotions and understanding how they interact with each other. Okay. Ah, oh, I love that. Yeah. And I imagine that plays into this time very much so uh, with COVID-19. And Absolutely. are you seeing things happen? Like, are you seeing people come in talking about this? Are you seeing stuff change in your setting? Yes. Um, you know, a lot of people are feeling extra anxious. I mean, they had anxiety maybe before, or maybe some people had never experienced anxiety. And now there are so many uncertainties. Um, a lot of panic attacks um, mm. are coming on as a result of this, poor sleep, uh, just a lot of stressors. And then there's also grief that's happening, kind of coinciding at the same time, the anticipatory grief of the what if, what, you know, what would life look like, what's going to happen, um, grief of loss of independence, of doing the things that we normally do, and then grief of just kind of, you know, loved ones and, you know, hospitalizations and, and medical needs. Yeah. Uh, well, and so you have a PowerPoint. You've sent it over to me beforehand. I was looking through it and I was like, oh, I know what I'm going to call this episode. Uh, emotions and you. What do you think? You think that's a good one? It's great. <laughs> we can change it at the end if, if, if needed. Okay. Um, okay. So you're going to walk us through just some ways to manage 
stress and anxiety and emotions or okay yeah we'll talk about breathing some then we'll talk about emotions um and then we'll spend a little bit of time in grief too okay awesome all right well you're the expert so uh where do you want to start well i will go ahead and bring up the powerpoint um Joel was asking me about this and I thought, you know, there's some things that it's hard for me to like describe with my hands that I need to see like a visual to be able to explain it. So yeah, um, we'll go ahead and maybe move to the next slide. Okay. So people talk about breathing all the time, right? I mean, that's the first thing when people feel stressed. Oh, have you done your deep breathing? Deep yeah. breathing right now. The trouble is that when we talk about deep breathing, most people do <sighs> like, like a huge sound. breath in. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So big breath isn't necessarily a good thing. A big breath in. Yes. So, yeah. and that's kind of the key is that actually makes us feel much worse. Really? A huge breath in. Try yeah. it. Take a huge breath in and a short breath out. Yeah. Well, I feel like it also goes like right into my chest. Yeah. Right. And heart starts beating, palpitating a little faster, you know, kind of feel a little jittery. Mm. Yeah. Oh, like hyperventilating. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So when we breathe that way, it's not effective to reduce anxiety or stress. Mm. So that's, that's kind of the thing. So to give a little background, I wanted to show a little image of the nervous system. Um, so our nervous system has, you know, a couple different branches. So it starts with, this is a little biology quick lesson um, or reminder. <laughs> okay. So, we have our central nervous system, which is our brain and our spinal cord. And then we have peripheral, which is everything extending outside of that. And then peripheral breaks into autonomic. And autonomic sounds like automatic because it's involuntary. So that's where we're going to spend our time, is in the autonomic part of the nervous system. So it has two wings, like you can see on the slide here. So we have the sympathetic, which is the stress response. And we have the parasympathetic, which is the relaxation response. Okay. And I'll just run through a couple of these quick things um, on each of these, and then we'll talk about how does this relate to the breath, right? That's what we're talking about. So um, as far as the sympathetic side, our stress response, you've probably heard of fight or flight before. So just kind of yeah. that like, you know, like, oh my gosh, something terrible is happening. What am I going to do? Um, so our, you know, pupils dilate so that we can see really far. Um, we get an accelerated heart rate. All of our digestive stuff is inhibited because digestion isn't important if I'm being chased by a tiger. That's not the critical thing. I need to send my energy elsewhere, right, to my muscles. Um, so all the blood goes from the gut to the muscles so that we can run and fight and all that kind of stuff. So there's a cascade that happens when we're in that stress response. There's also a cascade that happens in the parasympathetic. Okay, so all this happens when you're stressed. So it doesn't matter if it's actually a lion attacking you. Correct. Or if you're just stressed thinking about, I don't know, going Correct. to the grocery store. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So the body doesn't, or the brain doesn't know the difference between a thought and something actually happening, hmm. which is important when we talk about anxiety, right? Yeah. Okay. There's no difference between what is and what might be. Correct. Okay. That's all I'm saying. If you're worried about it, the brain kicks into this cascade, the stress response. Okay. So the other side is the rest and digest or the parasympathetic, which is our relaxation response. So we have both. We need both. If I'm in a car accident or somebody's like running into my lane, 
I want my stress response to kick into gear. Mm -hmm. If I'm in my normal life, I want to be in parasympathetic, that relaxation response. So in the relaxation response, you know, we can salivate, our digestive stuff is going because we're not in a life-death situation. So that's why when we're stressed, we get all that GI stuff. We need to go to the bathroom. We have an upset stomach. We feel nauseous. All those things kind of happen. So just kind of a quick review on those. And the reason that I think it's helpful to have this background is that when we're feeling stressed, it's because we're kind of amping up this sympathetic response. And one really good way to do that is taking an inhale or holding our breath. The exhale is relaxing. You know, that's our relaxation. That's our parasympathetic part of the nervous system. So when we're inhaling, we're bringing up that stress response. When we're exhaling, we're bringing in that relaxation response. Okay. So, you know, there are a lot of people who talk about uh, four, seven, eight breath. Um, which is something there's a lot of research around it. You know, it's not a bad technique. But if we think about the inhale being a four, the hold being a seven, and the exhale being an eight. And that's like length of time. Right. Seconds counts. Mm -hmm. Not minutes, seconds. Okay. Correct. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we have a lot more sympathetic counts than we do parasympathetic. So you mean a longer breath in then breath out yes Uh, and so what i do with folks when they're starting to feel stressed and anxious is try a longer exhale that's kind of the the key to this Hmm. so i'm going to switch to the next slide so if you remember nothing else about breathing if you can remember to have a longer exhale it's going to be relaxing for you okay so that's kind of the key so Let's just kind of check it out. Joel, are you up for that? Sure, yeah. Okay. A practice. A practice. Because if we can't use it, why have it, you know? So the first thing that I'd like for you to do is to just close your eyes, tune in with your body, just kind of check in and notice. And I want you to give a 1 to 10 rating. 10 is the highest, 1 is the lowest of your general level of distress, point in time right now. So 10 would be really, really high, really overwhelmed, really stressed or scared or worried. And then, you know, one would be not at all easy breezy. I'm sitting on the beach. And, you know, just kind of, there's no right or wrong answers here. We'll just kind of see curiosity. Yeah, I'd probably say a four. Okay. Okay. So we're starting with a four. Awesome. So when we're doing breathing exercises, it's important to have our feet flat on the floor and to have a straight spine because we want to have um, the opportunity for our lung capacity to expand our intercostal muscles, all of those things. So what we're going to do is we're just going to do a few rounds of breath and I'm going to call out the counts so you can have your eyes closed, open, whatever's comfortable, and we'll just give it a try and then we'll re-rate and just be curious to see if anything's shifted and anything is fine. So this is what it's going to sound like just as a preview. We're going to say inhaling and exhaling. And I'm going to keep up with the counts so you can just relax and just kind of enjoy it and just kind of notice. Um, and this can be in and out of the nose if you want to do in through the nose, out through the, bre- out through the mouth, breathing. Whatever is most comfortable for you is fine. Okay. And you're going to count the seconds for me out loud? or I'm going to count them, but I'm not going to do it out loud because I don't want to distract you. But I'm going to keep track. 
Okay. So I just keep breathing in and out until you say change. Mm-hmm. That's it. Okay. All right. Ready? Yep. Okay. Inhaling. Exhaling. Inhaling. Exhaling. Inhaling. Exhaling. Inhaling. Exhaling. Inhale. Exhale. Inhale. Exhale. Last one, inhale. And exhale. And I just want your breath to regulate. Just kind of check it out, just kind of tune in. Just notice if there are any energetic shifts, anything noticing in your body. Just kind of being curious. So what was that experience like for you? It was good. Uh, I noticed when I have to focus on breathing in and breathing out, like when I have to think about it, I can't think about anything else, mm -hmm. <laughs> which in and of itself is a gift, right? Like, right. oh, my mind gets a break. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, always a great reminder for me when I am stressed out about something. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's, it's all just a mental game, right? And so if I can shift my thinking to something else, it changes the whole, the whole thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I feel it physically as well, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of relaxation maybe in your muscles or shoulders, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. How would you rate it again if you had to choose a number? How would I rate how I was feeling? Um, I'd say after. After? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd say probably a three, something like that. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was good. And I mean, I think, you know, again, people talk about deep breathing all the time, and I think it's a great one. And for most people, once we kind of go through and learn and practice this, the more you practice it, the better it gets because you get what's called vagal toning, which is for your 10th cranial nerve. And it kind of like a muscle, it gets stronger the more you practice it and the more you tone it. So um, what does that nerve do? It is like the major player in your relaxation response. So it innervates all of your visceral organs. It comes from the back of the skull and it comes back here through your neck and it goes to your heart and to your lungs and all your GI stuff and it goes down your inner thigh. Hmm. So it's sending signaling from the body to the brain okay. to say, calm it down, we're okay. So that's what we're doing when we're breathing. When we're doing it, when we're choosing how to breathe, we're sending the signal to the body. Things can't be as bad as they feel right now because if I, if I was being chased by a tiger, I couldn't breathe in this structured way. Mm -hmm. It'd be impossible. So that, that kind of practice enhances that nerve and that, so in other words, you could start relaxing more easily? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. okay, okay. It's measured through heart rate variability. 
Um, so if you're interested in looking into that, um, HRV is kind of the way that it's measured. Oh, that's cool. Okay. What other uh, tips and tricks do you have? Or is that, is that all for breathing? Well, I have breath prayers that I thought I'd add in. Okay. Um, and do you use breath prayers, Joel? Or familiar? Um, something like sometimes when I'm meditating, I'll use like a phrase that I use as I exhale. Yeah. Awesome. So I don't know. Maybe it's the same thing. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you can use it with um, prayer. You can use it with meditation. You can use it in your daily life. Um, here are just some examples that I have posted and, you know, there's no right or wrong or best choice. I really think it's what resonates most with you in the situation, you know? Mm -hmm. I do like for the second half to be longer if possible, because then we're keen into that parasympathetic side of the autonomic nervous system, that relaxation response. So you do these on an inhale and an exhale? Mm -hmm. oh. So like be still and know that I am God is going to help with that kind of like regular, normal, comfortable inhale mm -hmm. and a long, smooth exhale. Okay. Okay. So where these commas are, would that be the example? Mostly. Of mm -hmm. You breathe in Lord. And as you exhale, have mercy on me. Yes. Okay. The last one is Lord. I need you be by my side. So you could do kind of Lord. I need you be by my side or Lord. I need you be by my side. So, you can kind of play with what's comfortable for you. Yeah. And I imagine people could make up now that they have this idea, make up their own. That Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be a scripture, you know, it can be kind of what resonates. Um, but these are just some, you know, and one that I think is really a challenge, but a helpful one to try right now is it is well with my soul. Hmm. Because it, it kind of shifts the way we're thinking when we're saying like, I don't like this. This isn't good. I don't like what's happening to kind of like give it up to God and say like, I'm going to try and be okay with this and, and go with it. Yeah. Oh, so kind of like a dual, like not only are we breathing and activating this, whatever the nerve is, I forget the name mm -hmm. already. Mm -hmm. um, so Thank that you. we can be more relaxed, mm -hmm. but we're also speaking words that are changing how we're thinking and our body is responding. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I love that. Thanks. Yeah. So just some other kind of ideas that go with breathing. And then um, the next one is emotions. So we're kind of shifting into the next area here. Okay. So you've probably heard a lot of people have a lot of emotions, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Myself included. <laughs> <laughs> right. No one's exempt. We all have them. <laughs> so I think with emotions, you know, the first thing is trying, if we can, to just let it, just go with it. Let it be, you know, have it, experience it fully. Um, because we know that for most of us, if, if it's something we don't like to feel, what do we do? We try and push it away. We try and distract ourselves. We try and ignore it. Right. Those can work for a while, you know. Um, but if we can make space for it, it starts to kind of lose a little bit of its power. So we'll talk a little bit about that. So just kind of this idea of acceptance, right, I think can sometimes be tricky. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of feels like a, a stamp, like I'm giving a stamp of approval with acceptance. Right. And I don't really see it that way. I think it's like, okay, can I make space for what's showing up right now? Can I make space for what's already here? Mm. Okay. So acceptance isn't um, allowing it to happen, right? Acceptance is it's already happening. Mm -hmm. Let me accept that. 
right. of denying it. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Which means you also have to realize that it's happening. Yes. Right. You have to be self-aware enough to know. Mm -hmm. And when we're so distracted, often we don't even know how we feel, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's easy at the grocery store or, you know, wherever you're talking to people now, um, you know, hey, Joel, how are you? And what would you say to that? I'm freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, either that or it, it's kind of one of those extremes like, oh my gosh, I can't handle this is too much or like, great, fine, good. How are you? Yeah. You know? yeah. And most of the time, you know, unless it's we're tuning in, we don't really recognize like, am I feeling disappointed? Am I feeling scared? Am I feeling worried? Mm -hmm. Am I feeling frustrated? Am I feeling sad? You know, what is this? Right. And this piece of we get asked that all the time, but it's not the time to answer it, right? So we get mm -hmm. used to ignoring it. Yeah, absolutely. Or we don't even know why we ate that whole bag of potato chips while we were watching Netflix, right? Because it's just normal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's something there, right? <laughs> yeah, something, maybe. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think acknowledging, making space for, and kind of tuning into our emotions is, it's a huge piece of the emotion puzzle, is first recognizing it. Yeah. So the recognizing it, accepting it, allowing it, um, how do you, I, I imagine there's some fear of being swallowed up in it, mm -hmm. right? Of like, mm -hmm. if I acknowledge the anger or if I acknowledge the fear or if I acknowledge the sadness, um, then I'm going to be sad. Mm -hmm. Right. So what, what do you do with that? What's your kind of response to that? Yeah. So it's interesting. So, um, you know, if we kind of look at, you're actually going to like the next little bullet here. So um, if we look at like, you know, the etymology of the word emotion, um, it means to move out. Hmm. So this, this idea is that emotions move us toward action and they also move through us. Okay. And there's this neuroanatomist who, um, she actually wrote a book called The Stroke, My Stroke of Insight. And so she is very familiar with the brain and she was having a stroke and she recognized she was having a stroke. Hmm. So she was like timing and kind of checking in with like, okay, like this just happened to this structure of my brain and now it's moving to this and this. So she was studying herself as it was happening, <laughs> which is kind of wild. Yeah. And, um, and she noticed kind of in this experience that it takes about 90 seconds and she says maybe a little less for an emotion to move through us. Hmm. How often, though, do we have an intense emotion that only lasts 90 seconds, right? Yeah, I feel like never. Is that? <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, well, what's with that, right? You know, how is that the case? Yeah. yeah. So how is that the case? <laughs> <laughs> so what happens is, we have the emotion, which is a, a chemical cascade in the body. And then we start to assign meaning and we start to think about that situation or emotion and we go into worst case scenario and this thing and that thing. So we create a story and the story is what holds that intact. Hmm. It perpetuates that emotion. It keeps it locked. So you mean when we have an emotion, whatever story we assign to it then becomes locked in us yes because you know the issues are in the tissues like physically in the body um Bessel van der Kolk has a lot of work on that but 
yes. And we, if we were just to feel our emotions and let it just ride that wave, let it just happen through us to really be in touch with that, it wouldn't last as long. If we get tense and we tighten up and we fight it, it's going to last longer. And if we create a story about it, it's going to last longer. Instead of just feeling sad, it's like, well, I'm feeling sad and I'm feeling mad because that person shouldn't have done what they did. And now I'm mad about it. And so then we kind of, we get into this cycle of strong emotions. Uh, so what would an example look like of just the emotion passing through and not like latching on? Right? I don't know if latching on is the right word. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, if it's, you know, sadness, for example, it's if tears are coming up, let them be there. And then notice, like, where am I feeling this in my body? Oh, my heart feels aching. Okay, I'm noticing the ache. What else do I feel? My stomach feels tight. It feels like there's like a knot in my stomach. Okay, I'm feeling that. I mean, it's just, it's just being with it and trying to not assign meaning and make up stories to say, this is good, this is bad, I like it, I don't like it. It's just trying to be with it. Uh, okay, the like, the I like it and I don't like it comment. Oh, man, that hit. Whew, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my first move to say, yeah. ooh, I don't like this feeling, right? Mm -hmm. Or I do like this feeling. And mm -hmm. then it's so, then it, yeah, it becomes, oh, I like this feeling. I'm going to assign a story to it. Mm -hmm. Or I don't like this feeling. I'm going to assign a story to it that makes it different. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or how can I get out of here? Yeah. <laughs> how can I get out of this? Right. Okay. So you're, so are you recommending like don't assign a story to your emotions like ever or? I would say play with it and see, and you know, I, I try to not be the person who gives all the directives. Hmm. I think that we should kind of explore it and see. Um, but I would say try it out and see how it shifts things you know, just kind of this opening up, this making space for acknowledging, you know, creating space for whatever showing up. Try to do that with sensations in the body, with emotions, um, and see how you feel with it versus making the story. Yeah. Huh. That's just such an interesting way of saying just feel it and not call it good or bad, right? Mm -hmm. um, which we call everything good or bad, right? right? But can you just feel it? And I love that you say what you, you give like concrete, how does your heart feel? How does your stomach yeah. feel? What does this part of your body feel like? Um, again, it's to me, it's how can I help guide my brain? Mm -hmm. to, like think in a different way. Right. Uh, and this is, it's really interesting too, because just as the experience that you described when you were doing the deep breathing of, it just felt like my mind cleared. Hmm. You know, when we start to tune inward and we lean toward difficult emotions rather than away from, all of a sudden we're not saying this is bad. This is, it's like, I feel tightness. I feel it in my shoulders. I feel it in my throat. I feel it in my chest. I feel it in my stomach. This hmm. is what fear feels like. This is what anger feels like. I feel hot. I feel tense. Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we're just describing without a story. Hmm. Wow. But we're story creatures, right? We put meaning yeah. and story into everything. So isn't it almost like counterintuitive? To it's the same thing meditation is, right? Yeah. We're trying to step back and to see and witness our stories that we're making. 
and to check them out and know that they are real but maybe not true and then kind of choose where we want to go from there yeah man oh man that's deep that's good okay okay what what else with our emotions so i think it's you know i kind of have this wave on the back of the image here um or the the slide because i think of you know this going with as if there's a wave coming behind me and i'm standing in the ocean if i turn around and i go into the wave if here's the wave and if i go this way it's not going to go so well right <laughs> you're going with the wave either way right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but if here's the wave and here's me that's going to go much better yeah. And so, you know, I think it's helpful to learn how to surf because emotions happen in waves. Um, you know, sometimes the tide goes out and things are really calm for a while and it's okay. And then other times we get engulfed by waves and try and go with that and notice that that's okay because the reality is none of these emotions at the intensity that they are, are going to be permanent. Hmm. Gosh, imagine if it was only 90 seconds. Right. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's uh, kind of wild. And I, yeah, and that seems like wouldn't you just be in this uh, peaceful place so much more, often, mm -hmm. right? like all the time? Um, yeah. Hmm. yeah, I love that. Okay, so riding the wave. So riding the wave, and you know, one I have a couple of other things on this slide too. Um, what if to what is? This is a tool that I use with folks very regularly. So when we notice that we're being jolted around by our emotions, it's typically because we're what ifing. What if this? What if that? What if this other thing? And oh my gosh, and what if that happens? And what if that other? You know, it's like all of a sudden we get kind of like overcome by these emotions, right? Mm. Yeah. We can also call that chaining. You know, it's like, what if this thing, then this thing, it leads to kind of catastrophic thinking. But, you know, when we get caught in those what ifs, those waves that are really intense and just keep pulling us down, mm -hmm. I just, if we can pause and breathe and come to what is instead. So instead of what if this and what if this other thing, we come to what is, what is is that right now, I'm okay. Right now I'm breathing. Right now things are not so bad. I can handle right now. And if we can handle right now, that's the only time that we can do anything with. I mean, be here now, be present, you know, it's, it's all this kind of, you know, being mindful. Um, but if we can be okay with this current moment, then we can get through this, you know, but it's shifting from the what if, you know, stories to the what is right now is the evidence. This is the truth. This is what's happening. Hmm. Yeah. So noticing, uh, and I'm thinking of like people who are, they're, they're trying to figure out what if, what are the worst case scenarios and to be prepared, right? Which being prepared isn't bad, but maybe yeah. once you realize you're kind yeah. of, <laughs> yeah. yeah, going way off course and it's causing you a lot of problems, come right. back. Absolutely. Exactly. You know, I think it makes us feel more comfortable to go into the what if, because we want to be prepared. Like you said, we want to have a plan. We want to, you know, have something you know, it's a security thing. It's a certainty thing. You know, if everything feels uncertain, if I create certain scenarios and I have plans for those, they may or may not happen, but if they do, I'm ready for that. So I just don't want us to live there. I'd rather we live in the is, in the present, rather than in the future that may not happen. You know, 
the yeah. future being these terrible catastrophic events that I'm imagining. Sure. Yeah. Well, and is there something about um, like creating these neurological pathways that continue to stay negative and focusing on the what ifs and makes it harder, like literally harder to come back to the present? Yes. Is that? It is. It's a thing. Um, so there's this concept of neuroplasticity which neuro is referring to the brain, plastic is referring to plastic. Plastic, as opposed to concrete, can be molded and shifted and changed with heat. Mm. So it, we know that it can change. Um, and so neuroplasticity is this idea that the neurons that fire together wire together. And so, you know, we kind of get this strengthening of the circuitry, of the dendrites, the brain cells. And the more often that we do something, the easier it is to do that thing. So the more often that we think negatively and we worry, guess what's really easy to do now? Cause I do it all the time. Right. Worry, right? Right. Um, which the, the beauty of neuroplasticity is that we know that we can change the brain. It's just taking some, some added effort. So there was a study in London of cab drivers. And so they did some, you know, imaging first of their brains. And then they, these are folks who hadn't been cab drivers before sent them out, they did their work for you know, a period of time, came back, did some more neuroimaging, and their hippocampus had changed in size, hmm. which is pretty wild, right? Yeah. And the hippocampus is responsible for memory and for spatial orientation. So, I mean, it makes sense, right? These are people who have been memorizing these windy roads and streets, hmm. and their brain physically, structurally changed as a result of doing that repeatedly. Yeah. Wow. So if we're stuck in this negative mindset right now, um, we don't have to stay there, really. You were saying this could re reshape how you think yes. in day-to-day -day life. Um, and, and it could go the other way as well, but we're focused on right. yeah, re, uh, the wiring. rewiring. Yeah, mm -hmm. well, that's cool. It's just like a muscle, right? If you do, you know, if I do like, 10 repetitions with my right arm, but I do nothing with my left arm, my right arm is going to get stronger. So if I continue to just think in a direction that's unhelpful, negative, and inaccurate, that's going to feel stronger, you know, and I'm going to continue to do that. I'm going to perpetuate that thinking. Right. If I can notice that through meditation, through checking in, tuning in to noticing what's happening, then I can say, oh, that's not that helpful. And I can shift gears and I can focus on things that are more accurate and more helpful. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Okay. And then what's this last one, the, the good news first you have down there? So that's a website that you can sign up for um, all the good positive news that's happening in the world. And okay. so they can send you free emails that say like, instead of how many people have died from COVID-19, this is like how many people have recovered, you know, and, um, and just like, you know, wholesome good stories that are legitimate news sources because we're infiltrated with so much negativity and we have what's called the negativity bias. So we're shifted to think more negatively, you know, just through our evolution of the brain. And so this helps us to look at things in a more balanced way to, to really focus on some positive things too. So if we notice we're getting engulfed by the negativity, try to include things where we know we can shift back into more accurate, more helpful, more positive thinking. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I'm actually on like a um, media fast right now. I'm actually on like kind of an information fast, so not any kind of 
taking in any kind of information except um, what I absolutely have to. Uh, And I already feel very different. (laughs) Honestly, that's the best approach. I've had reduction in symptoms by over 50% in two weeks by just stopping the news. I mean, we know that, you know, I think we sort of know that to be the case, but it's hard for people to do that. But man, if we can, if we can shut that down and just really focus on the here and now, we're going to find out the stuff we need to know through other people. Yes. Anything (laughs) major is going to be made known. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay, great. Oh man, that's good. So good news first. All right, check it out. So this is a little bit related to emotions too. Um, So I've named it, name it to tame it, which is really Dr. Dan Siegel's work. And so he's a psychiatrist who does a lot of mindfulness work. Um, And the idea is if we can know what the emotion is, we're shifting where we are in the brain. So if this is his model, this is Dr. Dan Siegel's hand model of the brain. So we have, um, this is the brain stem. So this is our spinal cord over here. Here's the lower region of the brain, this um, brain stem, which is kind of the back of the brain here. And then we have in here, our limbic system, which technically, you know, it would be two of these because, you know, we're looking at just sort of one side of the brain, but I don't have two thumbs, so we're gonna go with that. Um, So this is the limbic system. This is the reptilian brain, which is the brainstem. This is the mammalian brain, which is, you know, all the mammals. This is the human brain. This is our neocortex, the outside part of the brain. Let me try and see. Oh, there we go. That might be. It's trying to blow you up a little bigger. Okay. Um, great. There we go. Okay. All right. So if this is our, you know, kind of brain model here, our emotions are stored here in the mammalian part of the brain, the limbic system with the amygdala being right here on the tip of my um, thumb. Yep. And we have our neocortex and our prefrontal cortex So this is oriented the same way that I'm oriented. So my fingernails are like right here, the top, you know, most front part of my brain. Okay. Prefrontal, get it, in the front. Perfect, right? Makes sense. Good. (laughs) Makes sense. Um, (laughs) So we can't really be in this emotional center and in the rational center at the same time. And these are all developed at different points, right? Like where they call them different things, reptilian brain. Reptilian and human, yeah. So it's a triune brain, a three-part brain, because it's reptilian first, which is, you know, just trying to survive. It's our survival instincts. And then mammalian is kind of like connection, you know, um, tending, befriending, a little bit of that kind of stuff. And then we have our prefrontal cortex and our our neocortex. And these are really focusing more on kind of decision-making, rational, executive functioning, logic, things like that. So you're saying that's a luxury. (laughs) We've evolved to this point. (laughs) And so the the thing here is that if we are in our emotion kind of center of the brain, the limbic system, we can't also be rational. So if we notice we're here and we name it and we say, I'm feeling X, Y, Z, now we're here. Hmm. So we're kind of shifting where we are in the brain to shift the intensity of what we're feeling. Does that make sense? Literally by saying, I'm feeling angry right now. It shifts you from, tell me, if Mm -hmm. uh, connecting with that feeling as what you are, who you are, and to naming it and recognize it as something else other than you, or 
you're shifting from the emotional center to the logic center because you're having to pull together, you know, like, oh, what am I feeling? Out of all the options of what I'm feeling, this is the one that's most likely. This is, you know, you're, you're starting that kind of thought pattern. Okay, okay. So it gets you out of this emotional center? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. kind of that emotionally charged state. It shifts our gears a little bit. Huh. So do you have to name that out loud or can you just name it in your brain? You can name it internally. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and you don't even have to be right, right? Yeah. Like, I you mean, can be yeah. wrong. It just, it's kickstarting the process. I mean, you could even do a math problem in your head. If you're feeling stressed, try and do some long division in your head. <laughs> <laughs> if you can get there and you could focus on it or try and say the alphabet backwards or something. That's always my go-to move. <laughs> math. No. You know. Okay. It's, it's it's kind of it's shifting into the logic reasoning center. So it's a way of distraction, but it's also a way of you know shifting out of like this highly emotionally you know kind of riled up state. And so, so why why is that a good thing though? Because like I hear people you know a lot of people can avoid their feelings, right? So mm-hmm. how right. is that not avoiding and like also working with, or how's that healthy? Yeah, I think it kind of depends on the emotion. If we're in a place, you know, say that you're in a situation um, at work and, you know, something comes up and it's like, okay, I need to calm it down. I need to get back to, you know, I need to be able to function. You know, then we need to be able to name it to tame it and to identify kind of what is it that I'm feeling? How can I like calm this down a little bit? If we're, or if we're in a really angry state or something like that, where we could cause harm to other people or to ourselves, you know, Um, but if it's something where we can just be with that and we're at home and we're safe and we have the time to feel it, I mean, that's, that's going to be the best solution from my perspective. Um, but this is another tool that if things are getting pretty heightened, if we can at least call it what it is. And then like we talked about before, kind of tune into it because that curiosity is also rational, right? Mm. is this a sharp pain? Is this a dull pain? Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it tingly? Is it, you know, when we're tuning into that, we're also getting into that prefrontal cortex, that executive functioning part. Okay. So this is um, another tool to help, and it's hard to know maybe exactly when to use it. I mean, I think, yeah, you can, whenever there's a, I think identifying the emotion is something that we're not very good at. And so I think it's it's gotten better with emojis, actually, I found. <laughs> <laughs> that it used to be like, you know, no one knew any of this stuff. And now it's like, oh yeah, the one that goes like this, you know, it's like people just kind of have more of a <laughs> an idea because they're trying to communicate something that's nonverbal. And so we're we're a little bit more astute, maybe. <laughs> um, like feeling face charts, like what I have on this slide, I mean, those have been around, you know, for a long time, far before emojis were. And so uh, now I think it's becoming more second nature for folks to kind of pick an emotion to send that's relevant to the content that they were just writing. Yeah. Which is helping build that creation, you know, that kind of connection between the two. Huh. All right. I I like it. Okay. So that helps. So let's say you're in a I don't know, an argument with someone, a spouse, you're in a meeting, you're in a whatever, and things are getting heated, if you can name it internally. Yeah. You don't even have to name it out loud, right? Mm-hmm. You can name it internally. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll help bring you back. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and I think 
you know, like we said in the last slide too, being open and curious about it. Just kind of like, what does this feel like? And, you know, like if I'm feeling happy, what does happy feel like for me? Mm. Do I feel lighter? Do I feel tension? Do I feel relaxed? Do I feel, you know, like how does my heart and my chest and my throat and my stomach, what's happening in those kind of centers? Um, you know, so just kind of helping us to tune inward and to get more in touch with what's happening. Yeah. Oh, I really like that too, because what does it, yeah. What is it like when you're happy? Cause everyone, you could send the emoji, but what does it feel like for you? Mm-hmm. What does that mean and look like for you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, which is just kind of fun to even think about. Yeah. Cause all of these go both ways. It's not like just negative emotions, you know, it's, it's the full gamut, the full range. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I like it. All right, so name it to tame it. Name it to tame it. Um, And then if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling scared, if you're feeling worried, um, you know, there are what we, in ACT, we would call it the compassionate hand exercise, which is placing your hands on your heart. And there's something really soothing about this because we have electromagnetic fields in certain areas. Like if you're into the yogic stuff, there's the chakra system. Um, the seven centers where energy kind of circles in different places mm. in the body. So placing your hands on your heart and kind of tuning in with that with compassion, you know, just kind of like this is sadness and this hurts. How can I be with this? What do I need to offer myself right now to be with this? Yeah. You know, so that's, that's another practice. And if, you, if you're interested in this, I would suggest going into Dr. Tara Brock's work. Um, she's a psychologist and she's also a meditation teacher and a yogi and she's created a practice that's the RAIN practice, recognizing, allowing, investigating, and nourishing um, or nurturing. She has a couple different versions and they're guided meditations that are free online, all kinds of good stuff. Um, If you're, you know, to the point feeling scared, nervous, anxious, and just want to be able to tune into your emotions and be guided by that. Yeah. Yeah. This is such a natural movement, I think, for so many people, right? Like you could just walk up to somebody and they get like, I don't know, you're sending some kind of love or some kind, right? There's some kind of power in that. Or why do you touch your forehead, right? Or why? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we have, or your, you know, your gut, like Mm -hmm. you, yeah, I don't know. So I think, yeah, those are just places we naturally go for some reason. And you're saying, oh yeah, there's some patterns to this and some teachings about this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's cool. So we got a lot on emotions. To be continued.